Thank you for tuning into the Relentless Pursuit podcast, the foundation of equity, where Arkansans have justice-centered dialogues promote the equilibrium of humanity in the natural state and beyond. I'm your host, Crystal C. Mercer, native Arkansan, artist, activist, poet. You can always find me in the digital space at crystalcmercer.com and on social media at C-C-M-E-R-C-E-R-T-O-O. And a special thanks to our season sponsor and the reason we've all assembled to have these deeper dives, the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation, WRF, who exists to relentlessly pursue economic, educational, social, ethnic, and racial justice for all our Kansans. As the old folks used to say, ain't that all right? You can connect with them at wrfoundation.org and on social media at Winthrop Rockefeller Found on IG and WRFound on FB. This episode... Like all the others, we are talking with folks from all over the state about their draw to or passion for equity work, which brings me to our guest today, the, capital V, Reverend Corey Anderson, Chief Innovation Officer with WRF. Hi, Corey. Hey, sis. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm going to brag on you for a minute if that's okay. Just just a little bit. Just a little bit. Give you a little bio information, people. So Corey is a relentless collaborator. Come on now. He builds and maintains local and national partnerships, launches bold initiatives, and strategizes to ensure the foundation pursues equity for all our Kansans. See, it's in the mission and it's in his bio. This is life work. <laughs> in addition to his role at WRF, Corey also serves as the interim executive director for Ford Arkansas, and he understands collaboration because it has been his career. For seven years at the Annie E. Casey Foundation in Baltimore, Maryland, he supported state-level child advocacy organizations and helped lead the Kids Count Initiative. He is currently a BME Public Voices Fellow. He also serves on the boards of the Arkansas Baptist College, the Urban League of Arkansas, the Association of Black Foundation Executives, and Neighborhood Funders Group. Corey is busy. (laughs) Thank you again for sitting down with us today. Absolutely. So let's get into it, Corey. Chief Innovation Officer. Now, when I hear these words, I think of a leader who's committed to the people, uh, showing them the way into the future. How would you describe your work at WRF and in concert with the other organizations that you serve? Sure. You know, honestly, that that, that Chief Innovation Officer title is, uh, I think it's a, uh, it's, it's relevant sort of in two ways. One uh, is I've just, I've been at the foundation a long time. So, mm-hmm. so, 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 so over time it's like, okay, so what can I do next? Right. Mm. So, and, and honestly, it's also related to, we feel like at WRF, the need, as you just said, to really be looking into the future. So when we, when we interface with people in the community what we realize is that if we're if we're only solving today's problems, then we have to start over tomorrow, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So somebody needs to be looking 10, 15, 20 years down the road uh, and, and not to anticipate problems, but to really see the possibilities and the potential uh, for all the wonderful things that could happen in community, right? Yeah. So, so I think the the way that I describe my job is it's got a future focus, but I'm not trying to anticipate what's going to happen bad. What I'm trying to do 
is, is look at the assets that exist in our community, is look at how hard people are working now, um, is look at how creative people are in different parts of the state, and sort of extrapolate all that out into a future that's just different than it is today, mm-hmm. and then help people begin to build towards that future. So it's positive and solution-based when you think about looking ahead in the role of the foundation's work in Arkansas. A- absolutely. Um, you know, any anything that's happened good, probably all over the world, but certainly in this country, um, anything that's happened good, somebody was planning that thing, mm, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 15 years before it happened. Now, we may not have known about it. But, but somebody was thinking about that thing. Somebody was planning that thing. Somebody was was whatever was doing the research around whatever that thing was, you know, 10, 15, 20 years before it came to fruition. And, and honestly, you know, part of it is that we feel like that's our role in philanthropy. You know, uh, who else? And, and it's sort of a blessing um, and a responsibility. But, but who else, if not us? Uh, has has the time, right, to, to sit and think about the future, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, our, our partners are working hard, you know, today, you know, down at the legislative session, right? You know, you got people, you know, Alice Arkansans, 60% of Arkansans are Alice, which means they're working two or three jobs just to try to make ends meet, right? Yes, I have been Alice. Love for them <laughs> to be able to think about two years from now, but they, they're worried about next month. So we really do feel like it's 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 part of our responsibility as a philanthropy to be doing that work and then providing the resources and opportunities for others to come along with it. It's uh, when you talk about if if not us, I felt that spirit of the late John Lewis just yes, jump up you in you. There you go. If not us, then who? That's if right. not now, then when? Now is the time. But making space to see that good things are real and will happen for us Absolutely. in the future. So you also said that equity as a goal and equity as a framework for action is necessary to bring about true change. So even given the percentage for Alice that there are over 60 percent of Alice families in Arkansas and thinking about the systematic things that we go through here in our natural state. Can you talk about how how do we attain this goal and how do we build frameworks around equity? Sure. So. The, the first part is maybe some definition. So equity, equity as a goal. So when we talk about economic equity in Arkansas, what we're saying is that everybody ought to be able to live in a thriving community, earn a living wage, and build generational wealth. When we talk about educational equity, we're saying every kid ought to have a high-quality teacher in front of them every day mm-hmm. and be able to build the skills and knowledge necessary to support their community, to support their family. When we talk about social, ethnic, and racial equity, what we're talking about is dismantling systems that have been built over time that are producing inequitable outcomes and then rebuilding those systems so they produce equitable outcomes. So in a nutshell, the the definition of equity is that we get to a place in Arkansas where when you disaggregate data, you can no longer tell who's who. So Mm. take, for example... Uh, we're talking about education right now. Yeah. Third grade reading. Um, 70% of kids in Arkansas can't read on grade level or 60, between 60 and 70. When you disaggregate that data today, uh, if I showed you a graph and I said one of these bars is African-American kids, one of these bars is uh, white kids, and one of these bars is Latino kids, 
you could probably pick with certainty which bar is which. Mm-hmm. You might not be able to pick African-American from Latino, but you could pick kids of color from white kids, right? Uh, if I gave you a graph that talked about uh, wages by gender, I said, mm. here are two bars, one's men, one's women. You could tell me immediately which bar was men, which bar was women. Absolutely. <laughs> Equity as a goal means we get to a place where when you look at data like that, whether it's by race, place, gender, uh, gender identity, sexuality, rural, urban, that you can no longer tell who's who. Mm. That outcomes, positive, negative, and neutral, are equitably distributed across populations so that you can't use those identifiers to pick out who's who just by outcomes, okay? Mm. So that's equity as a goal. Equity as a framework for action says that if you want to get to that goal, then you have to start where the problem is the most difficult. That, that you have to start in the places and the populations that have been neglected and marginalized the longest. And the theory is, is if you can solve the problem in those places, then it's exponentially easier everywhere else you go. That if you can solve the problem in the places where it's the most difficult, then everybody benefits from the solution to that problem. Mm. So here's the challenge. We need more people to actually believe that we can get to a state of equity as an outcome. I think part of the problem is, is a lot of people don't really believe that kids of color and white kids will ever perform the same academically, right? And I think that impacts how people invest or the interventions that they're willing to go through. So, so a big part of our work and this is part of the narrative change work that we're doing, is helping our Kansans actually believe that, yep, absolutely. One, like we all belong to each other. Yes. And that if you do better, I'm going to do better. If the Delta does better, the whole state does better, right? And that's part of the, that's part of the challenge. But the other thing is, is getting folks to understand, you know, what's, what's called targeted universalism, right? Again, it's this idea if you solve a challenge for somebody that's got a serious challenge that everybody benefits from it, uh, the best example of that is called the curb cut effect. So when you're walking down the sidewalk and you get to the end of the sidewalk, there's a little ramp that goes from the sidewalk down into the street where you don't have to step off the curb, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's part of the disability rights movement, right? Where, where cities wanted to make mobility equitable for people that were differently mobile whether you're in a wheelchair or using a walker or you're pulling a wagon or you're dragging a suitcase. So you add those little little curb cuts in there and people that are definitely mobile can get down into the street and the other side of the street, they can get back up on the sidewalk. Everybody benefits from those little curb cuts. Yes. Again, it's an equitable solution that everybody benefits from. It was created for a specific population that was having the most difficulty with mobility. So it's an equity issue. But all of us benefit from those. There are thousands of solutions like that where if we could figure out what those things are in education, in economics, and in all the other things that challenge us, then we all benefit and everybody gets, uh, you know, gets to have a better quality of life. It's like you're solving these equity puzzles here in the Absolutely. state of Arkansas. Absolutely. It's, a, it's not something that you take on as a difficulty, but a challenge to see where all the pieces fit for everybody. Absolutely. I dig that. And, and and thanks for the context as far as the curb. I've, I've fallen off many a curb that did not have that. <laughs> there so. you go. 
<laughs> just a little clumsy. So I'm glad that we have that in place and we can all benefit. So you also uh, talked about your work in Baltimore. I lived in Beemore for a while. Did I did. I taught theater there at this uh-huh. wonderful elementary school. I uh, came back home uh, towards the end of my father's journey on this plane because mm-hmm. he was ill. But I had a wonderful time in Baltimore. So I'm I'm really interested about your journey from the Annie Casey Foundation and then being back in The Rock. I know that WRF has an Arkansas-centric lens for the equity work, but how does that work in social justice inform your professional and creative practices uh, here at the foundation and then where you have your hands in other pots as well? Sure. So, you know, my, my work uh, at the Casey Foundation was supporting statewide advocacy groups uh, through the Kids Count Initiative. And Kids Count, if, if folks don't know, so there's national data set that we do every year that, again, that that aggregates and disaggregates data around the status of kids and families in states. And so my partner portfolio there was like Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families, mm. who was one of my partners, in every state in the country, right? So, so we were doing this work there that was about supporting state-level advocacy groups it's sort of the same thing, to make this case around who wasn't benefiting from the systems that, in particular, kids and families uh, and Alice families were being exposed to. Um, and I did that work for, for seven or eight years. Uh, in that work, you know, we tried to help advocates, you know, think about, like, how you measure the impact of your work, how you communicate your work. So all of those things were a part of what we did. Uh, and honestly, it was it was really good work. But... The opportunity to come back to Arkansas uh, was an opportunity to do that same work just at a more granular scale mm. and and actually, ideally, to have more local impact. Um, prior to moving to Baltimore, I was right here in Little Rock. Uh, I was a newspaper reporter for the Arkansas Gazette. Uh, I did gang intervention work uh, for many years. I ran after-school programs. Uh, with UALR. Uh, I worked for the Corporation for National Service. So my, all of my work prior to going to Casey was mm-hmm. was really community work around youth development, sort of family strengthening, all those sorts of things. So honestly, it was the opportunity to come back and, and in some ways get back to that work at that scale. Uh, that was really exciting and interesting to me. I think the other thing is that in working uh, with with Dr. Scannelberry here, uh, her, her and I worked together at the Casey Foundation. Uh, and so we were able to bring here what we feel like is sort of the best of how of philanthropic practices, um, trying to put community first, um, trying to, you know, share decision-making power uh, mm-hmm. with the folks that we are engaging in and trying to get resources from. Um I tell people all the time, uh, I don't say that I know anything unless I've actually done that thing and maybe yeah. have some experience, right? <laughs> so, like, I don't tell teachers how to teach because I've never taught school. I don't tell principals how to manage teachers because I've never managed teachers. Um, and so we really approach the work and the investments and the partnerships that we make in that way. It's like bringing people into a conversation about a challenge, listening to those people, 
And then whatever our best and highest use is, we try to do that in service of those partners or in service of that community. So I think those are the things that we brought with us, you know, back from Casey. But, you know, for me, it was it was coming home for the yeah. most part. Tag team back again. That's right. <laughs> so I'm curious, what was the moment when you knew you were going to be with the kids, work in community, do equity? Was it earlier in life? Was it later in life? Like, what was the moment for Corey that says, this is my purpose to sure. do this work? When I when I first came here, uh, again I worked I worked for the Arkansas Gazette, which uh, has been closed for 32 years at this point. It's October 1991 when it wow. closed. Um, I was a I was a cub reporter, right? So they just gave me whatever anybody else didn't want to do. <laughs> um, in that, I got to I got to cover schools. So I would go to school board meetings, you know, little, do little stories about schools. Um, from that work, I began to to talk to young people in Little Rock. Uh, again, we're talking about 1990 uh, 1991. I got to talk to young people um, and got really sort of intimately engaged in all of the challenges that young people were having at that point. Mm. So I did a story for the Gazette. Uh, it was called Why Kids Kill. And in that story, I went down to, uh, I think it was Tucker Prison at that point, uh, was was the prison where they kept young people that had been charged as adults but were not yet 21. So it was, everybody was, was probably between 16 and 21. Um, you could imagine that all of those... Mm. So all of all of those young people, most of most of them were African American young men, and they were in these bunks, right? So, sort of, if you can imagine this huge room full of these bunk beds, and and when somebody from the outside walked by, everybody had to lay down in the beds. Mm. So if you had to put on your imagination, yeah, you know, this rows of you know probably twenty or thirty of these bunk beds, you know, three or four deep. Uh, and as you're walking by, they have everybody get up in them and lay down in them. And so, like, obviously the image is like these images of slave ships, right? Yeah. So in doing this story, I interviewed these three young men. Um, they were 16, 17, and 18. Uh, they had, um, uh, one of them had had committed a crime, had robbed a liquor store uh, and killed somebody. Uh, two of them were in the car. One of them was in the car asleep when it happened. All of them had life in prison. Mm. So I wrote that story. And and in writing that story, it actually sort of brought home for me just things that I had sort of known and experienced, even as a young person growing up myself. But it sort of brought home for me this idea that most of what young people are doing is actually responding to the circumstances that they find themselves in, Right. And that if we could change those circumstances, then we could get different responses. Yes. So that's the moment that mm. I think turned. And I sort of, you know, I took 
and I think what I've done over time, of course, the uh, the newspaper closed, uh, and uh, the company that ran the newspaper, you know, they offered to to move me somewhere else. And I said, no, I'll stay here um, mm. because I had I had met some folks, um, and and it just seemed like this would be a good place to sort of make a life. So um, I just I, I stayed here, ended up getting some other jobs. Again, I went to work, so I went from being a newspaper reporter uh, to to actually. I was called a gang intervention specialist uh, mm. and so went to work directly with those same young people, right? Um, and I tell people the only the only thing that made me a specialist was I was young, like like, <laughs> like the kids, Bill. right? Yes. And, and I could I could go stand out on corners and I could go to parks and I would be I would be pretty inconspicuous. But you know, just got to know a lot of young people um and and tried again, just try to create different circumstances for them. But but the nugget in there that I think I learned over time is these, these, there are systems, Mm -hmm. right. That produce disparate outcomes that in some ways, young people, families, folks that live in communities, like if you're gonna, if you're going to get past the outcome that the system is producing most, like you have to have like all of this resilience and all of this luck and all of this support. Right. And it just shouldn't be that way. Because it's not that way for everybody. So I think that's what sort of turned me into, again, this focus on systems, the outcomes that they produce, and the necessity to change those systems if we want different outcomes. Yes, the way you speak about it is so beautiful. All of the sludge you have to tread through in the struggle. Uh, My late father used to explain oppression like a weighted lead blanket on the blacks backs of black people and he too made an intentional decision to stay here in Little Rock and do the work uh, because there is still beauty in in that life and I'm glad that you were able to um, maybe not change every story from the beginning but to document and talk about that data that we're trying to disaggregate now to give them different opportunities to give these young people uh, just a better chance at being free and liberated and living the life that they deserve to live yeah Woo! you got me got me feeling the spirit (laughs) Corey. so i'm i'm also curious the number of years you talked about doing that work as a young man and then all of the years that you've been here (laughs) innovating at wrf that you've put into this work what do the years ahead look like thinking about the two five ten 15, 20 of relentlessly pursuing equity in Arkansas? Sure. You know, I, I think I think what we're learning uh, is that you have to invest in leadership, mm-hmm. right? That we have to find ways to to support and and incubate and in some ways cocoon people leaders uh so so that so that they can be around and, and be effective and be energetic into the future right because the work of dismantling systems is is cyclical work yes um you make a little progress and then it comes back a little. You make a little more progress, it comes back a little. You make a little more progress, it comes back a little. So I think one of the things that we're learning is that 
you know, we want to try to figure out, again, how we support, you know, longevity and growth and creativity and rest and renewal and all of those things in, in leadership and, and encourage everybody to the extent that you can to, to, to be able to take advantage. So that's one thing. I think the other thing uh, that we are really engaged in is, is the economic equity question, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, I think everybody knows that if you, can, if you can build up economic strength and economic power, and again, this is at the individual, the family, the community, the regional level, then you've got the ability to, to insulate yourself against some of the negative impacts of these systems mm-hmm. while we're rebuilding these systems, right? So I think that's another thing, you know, that we're really focused on is opening up access to capital for folks and, and all the ways that you, you know, that you can build wealth and, again, individually, family, and community. Uh, so there's that. Um, the other thing that I mentioned before, uh, and this conversation is part of it, is this narrative piece. Yes, Arkansas is only 3 million people. You know, all of us that are from here, you know, we we joke, you know, it's only half degree of separation. And that's really true, right? Like it's, it's, it's absolutely it's not, true. It's not hyperbole, <laughs> right? You know, you we you could you can go almost anywhere in this state and just randomly talk to somebody and you know, you talk to them long enough and you 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 will find it's one or two people maybe in between you, right? And you can go from one end of the state to the other. That's an opportunity to, to continue to help our Kansans understand that all of our destiny is tied together. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, the folks up in Batesville begin to make common cause with the folks down in Eudora and the folks in Helena, West Helena begin to make common cause with the folks uh, in MENA and Northwest Arkansas, you know, begins to see the value of the Delta and vice versa. That's when we're going to get the the opportunity to to really, for our purposes, push good public policy change. And so, and that's narrative work mm-hmm. because all of those, all of the divisions, to the extent that they exist are just all based on false stories that people tell each other and people tell themselves. And I think part of our work is that if we can help people create a common story, then they'll see their common destiny and we'll want to work in common <laughs> to, to, to elect people, right? Come on now. Uh, to, to, to put people in position that are going to do things that are good for all our Kansans. And so that narrative work, so leadership, economic equity, that narrative work, like I think those are, are, are three of the four or five things that really with sort of a future lens on it, I think are really important to us. You know, the leadership piece. It, today, I, I might go out and meet somebody, you know, that's 65 or 70 or 75, and they'll say, you know what, I went to school on a scholarship that the governor Rockefeller gave, right? Mm, mm -hmm. And all of those people are are high quality, you know, well-thinking, caring folks, right? Um, You know, and and it's that kind of thing where, again, looking into the future, building leadership, you know, that 
that, that we want to, to begin to try to double down on. Because we know this is a long-term uh, work that we have to, that has to be done. Yes. The way Angela Davis explains it is lifelong work Absolutely. when you get into this work of justice. I love the way too, Corey, that you talk about uh, cocooning and insulating. Cause a lot of times people are grooming you for the struggle and you gotta be strong. You gotta do this and like withstand all of the things that comes with what is really hard, emotional, grotesque sure. labor that goes into dismantling and rebuilding the system and saying, no, I want to protect you, your joy, your rest, your understand, your respite, the way you connect with people, the way you unwind is also a part of the work. And even that economic insulation, because mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier, people who aren't thinking about two years from now, they're like, I got to make it to next month. Right. And I don't even know if I'm going to get there. Right. Like giving them some peace of mind to do that. And even the narrative piece, which is one of the pieces that deeply resonates sure. with me as a poet, as a storyteller, and even for the conjuration of this podcast is to let people know how influential the foundation's work is in the state of Arkansas and to start dismantling some of the wives' tales and just giving people the absolute truth. Absolutely. So I love that that is the direction as you continue to innovate here that the work is going into. I'm like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I believe that was all of my questions, Corey, that I had scripted, but I do want to do a, an off script question, if you'll allow me, before we sure. close together with our time today. Uh, just thinking about coming back to the state and being intentional in the work that you're doing and thinking about the decisions and the stories and, and the puzzle piecing that you're putting together for this small network of three million people right. in the state. I mean, it's some cities with 3 million people. We we can do this, y'all. We got a whole state. Uh, wondering if you could describe in your perfect world what an equitable Arkansas looks like. Sure. I mean, that, that that's easy. You know, I go back to, not to be technical about it, but I do go back to a couple of those definitions. Mm. Like a, a thriving community. Like who doesn't who doesn't want to live in a thriving community, you know, a, a place where you can you know get most of what you need to get, right? Uh, you know, as a foundation, like we don't necessarily talk about sustainability and things like that in the core of our work. But guys, like, wouldn't it the the people in Arkansas that would say they live in thriving communities, you know, those people can walk to the grocery store, mm. right? Those people can walk their kids to a park after school. Uh, a lot of those people can walk their kids to school or they don't have to get in the car and drive or get on a bus and go hour and a half. Right. So yeah. so there are some things I think that people can agree would make up a thriving community that don't have anything to do with race or class or anything like that. Right. So a, a thriving community, uh, people having the opportunity to do the other things that it that it takes to to live joyfully. Yes. Like having the time to be creative, right? Um, having the resources to to take a drive on the weekend to some other part of the state and enjoy it. Um, like just those simple things, right? When we talk about building wealth, we're not talking about, you know, everybody being a millionaire. What we're talking about is people having the resources to take care of all the things that just naturally come up in life. 
mm. uh, and, and having a little extra to send your kid to school wherever he, she, or they wants to go uh, and not have to take on student loan debt. Like, like those are the things that we're talking about. And I don't think that anybody would disagree that everybody should have those opportunities. Um, what our Alice data shows us is that most Arkansans are working hard every day. And I think part of what we believe and envision is if you're working hard every day, it ought not be that hard, right? Hello. That some of, some things ought to be, you know, easy to you. And I think that's that's really what we're looking for. Well, I touch and agree with that vision because I want to take a drive on the weekend. I want to stitch these quilts. <laughs> I want to build me a little wealth That's for right. my family and definitely living in a thriving community because the state is so beautiful. Not only the natural resources, but uh, the humanity Absolutely. that exists in Arkansas. So I am. <laughs> thank you, Corey, so much for your time today. Now, before we end the show, we like to end with a quote, a poem, uh-huh. words of encouragement before we depart from this space as someone is no doubt relentlessly pursuing something in their heart. And today's feature comes from a person I deeply admire that I happen to be sitting right across from you. <laughs> the Reverend Corey Anderson. <laughs> Let me tell y'all what he said. <laughs> Uh, This is from the Little Rock Soiree Men on a Mission 2021 interview uh, on how you course correct when you hit a wall Uh and some of these things that we have encountered when we talk about this equity work. So I I thought it fitting. So this is what he said, y'all. Find the lesson in the loss. Every challenge we face is an opportunity to learn something new about ourselves and our circumstances. Applying what we're learning is the only way to accelerate positive changes in this world. I'd agree with that. Boom. (laughs) Of course, you said that. And if be the change was a person, it would definitely be you. (laughs) So thank you so much, Corey, for sharing a bit of your story with us today. I really appreciate just being at your feet and learning about all the wonderful work that you do for this state because I am a benefactor of that work and a partner and a co-conspirator in that work with you. Well, thank you you for what you're doing, too. You are so welcome. And thank y'all for tuning in to the Relentless Pursuit podcast, the foundation of equity, where Arkansans have justice-centered dialogues promote the equilibrium of humanity in the natural state and beyond. We had a fabulous time today in studio at WRF Chief Innovation Officer, the capital D, Reverend Corey Anderson, and I'm your host, Crystal C. Mercer. Thank you again to our season sponsor, the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Thank mm-hmm. you.